Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today I'm going to be jumping into part one of my UFC Fight Night 202 preview and predictions for this weekend. It's going to be a fun card. Uh, only one or two ranked fighters on the card, but it's going to be a great, great fight night anyway. We were originally going to see Islam Makashev up against Benil Dariush in a fight that really had a lot of bearing as to potentially who would challenge for the lightweight championship after Justin Gaethje. I'm not going to get into the Conor McGregor thing today. Uh, so it was going to be a huge main event. Dariush has pulled out. Now, he's an absolute warrior. He wouldn't pull out unless he had to. So full respect to Dariush. But Islam Makashev needed an opponent. Bobby Green steps up for what John Anik and a lot of others were saying. He deserves a main event. He's been fighting really well. He's been a very exciting fighter. And things don't always go his way. Uh, but he does always come out with intent to make the fight exciting and to entertain the fans. So no doubt this is going to be a really interesting main event. And people think Bobby Green doesn't have a lot to lose. There's still a lot at stake. He's a little bit older in his career, but he now steps up for what's a huge opportunity. A lot of bigger names in the division didn't want to take this fight. He steps up and takes it. Now Dan Hooker did similar. He stepped up on short notice. He was submitted in the first round. Now Bobby Green steps up. And if he can give a great account of himself, that will boost his stocks in the UFC immensely. And no doubt Bobby Green already. Dana White was already a fan, but now Dana White would really give, you know, Bobby Green I think could be in for a bit of Dana White privilege. And rightly so, he's stepping up to take on an absolute killer in the lightweight division on short notice. You have to factor in the weight cutting and everything, but look, I'll get to the main event a little bit later because I'm going to be trying a little bit more of a short format podcast attempt. Not too short, but hopefully not as long as some of the others, so hopefully it's just more enjoyable for the listener. Hello train, we got a train in the background, so I'm going to try not to waffle on. Usually I would dive deeper into the prelim fights, but I'm going to have a crack at slightly shorter form content this time around, so I'm going to split it into two podcasts, a prelims preview and predictions, and then a main card one. So today I'm going to jump into the prelims action, and we've got a featured prelim at the top of these undercard fights between Rong Zhu, a really young, up-and-coming, probably underrated and unheralded, but very good prospect, up against Ignacio Bahamondes, who a lot more people know his name. The incredible knockout last time out from him. Uh, I was just so impressed. I cannot wait to see him back in action. And Rong Zhu as well is a very interesting prospect in his own right, so I'll jump into that featured prelim a little bit later on, but first, let's get started with our opening fight of the night, the UFC Fight Night 202 opener between Dana White Contender Series graduates and flyweights, Victor Altamirano and Carlos Hernandez. So as I said, kicking off this Fight Night 202 card are two flyweights making their official UFC debut after both having earned contracts 
via split decision victories on the most recent season of Dana White's Contender Series. There's no doubt that both men will want to be uh, a little bit better than their last outing and get a more unanimous outcome, whether that comes in the form of a stoppage or a decision, I'm not exactly sure, but after a split decision win and getting the contract, it's still like, you know, if Bobby Green is really in Dana White's good books, these guys, it's still, Dana White's got them in pencil, you know, and a split decision or something, you know, not as quality or not a good backup from their Dana White contender series performance. Uh, Dana White's got the eraser right there, you know, they're in the opening fight here, so it's an interesting position for them to start off, and you well and truly start from the bottom of the card, so won't it be great if one or both of these men make a really big run in the flyweight division, and they can say, I started, you know, very bottom of the card and worked my way up. So we've seen a handful of last year's graduates make their debuts now. Uh, we had Chad and Helga last weekend. Now Chad won me some money with the knockout bet. Thank you, brother. Uh, but the most impressive so far was Chitty and Jokuani. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, that like 16 second or 18 second knockout. I think it was 16. That was incredible. I already had my eye on him. I watched the Contender series because I always like, you know, check out emerging prospects. He was definitely one I was keen to see because he has experience uh, and I think he's well and truly bided his time and paid his dues on the kind of regional circuit or whatever you would want to call it. So he was definitely ready and he showed it. Now we've got two more quality flyweights from, well, he wasn't a flyweight, but they've both, they're all from fucking contender series, right? That's the, try, uh, the point I'm trying to make, going a little bit off track. Uh, but as far as this weekend's graduates go, the duties belong to Victor Altamirano and Carlos Hernandez. Altamirano defeated a returning contender series fighter, Carlos Candelario. So his most recent outing, he beat someone called Carlos. So, I mean, early omen? I don't know. So that was the first episode of last season. I remember tuning in for that. I was like, all right, first batch of like, you know, contenders for the year. And yeah, I was impressed with El Tamarano, but there were definitely stages in that fight where I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to bet on this guy because he definitely has potential in those really close fights to kind of lose those big moments or even the little moments. Now, I remember tuning in for that fight and I witnessed an extremely close encounter and that ultimately resulted in a split decision win in favor of El Tamarano. That split decision victory boosted El Tamarano's current win streak to four straight. A fifth consecutive win in Victor's promotional debut would be sure to boost the 31-year-old's credentials and afford Altamirano a higher-profile opponent in his next bout. The former LFA flyweight champion has a unique karate style that is really hard for his opponents to study. Altamirano is one of your just classic Mexican fighters, fighters sorry, that are tough as nails, just so quality. Uh, they just, I don't know, there's something about them. They're really good fucking fighters. They just have that uh, spirit. And that's kind of what Altamirano displayed in his um, contender series appearance. He had a variety of offense and he could cause some serious damage all through the, you know, from the head to the body to the legs. Altamirano has a varied range of offense, which makes him very dangerous. As for Carlos Hernandez, he'll be looking to start not just his career, but also the knight in style. Hernandez is a teammate of Ignacio Bahamondes, one half of tonight's featured prelim fight. Carlos was successful in his quest for a UFC contract, and that was just a few weeks removed from Victor's win. 
Hernandez was also on the right side of the judges' scorecards in his fight, winning by split decision. So that in itself is a really interesting narrative and storyline. Two graduates coming up each other. Uh, coming up each other. Oh, that sounded a bit uh, wrong. I'll leave that in. That was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, they're coming up against each other. My apologies. Opening fight of the night, and yeah, only one of them can win. And this time it's like, how's it going to play out? Imagine if it is a split decision again. So both men earn their contracts via split decision, which makes this a very intriguing matchup. Altamirano may be on an impressive streak of four straight wins, but that pales in comparison to the run of Carlos Hernandez. Hernandez rides a seven-fight win streak into this weekend, looking to make it eight and immediately establish himself as a threat at 125 pounds. There's also going to be a sizable reach advantage in favor of Altamirano, so Hernandez is going to have to be crafty. He's going to have to get inside Altamirano's range and really use his striking offense. I think we're going to see a lot of clinch work. I think this one's going to have a little bit of everything. I can see this fight going a whole different, you know, many different ways because it's hard to get a read. This one just, it's hard to get a read based on what I know about both of these guys, but the reach advantage will be in favor of Altamirano. Okay, so now I'm going to jump into the profiles for both men. And as I said, just to cut a little bit of time off the podcast from this fight on, I'm just going to say profiles and then list a bit of info about each fighter. Uh, that'll just cut a few unnecessary minutes off of the podcast. So now instead of saying I'll get to the profiles and such, I'm just going to say profiles and launch straight into it. Sound good? Sweet. Also, in the name of being totally transparent and giving credit where it's due, most of my information for the profiles and professional record details come from both Wikipedia, of course, duh, and Sherdog.com. Sherdog in particular is awesome, with detailed info on every fighter that I've ever needed to look up, the ones that Wikipedia doesn't have, you know? Sherdog, Tapology has a lot of it as well. I just, my preference, I like Sherdog's layout and format and the way that they present it. Now, profiles. Carlos Hernandez, 28 years old. He is representing Chicago, Illinois, and he is from the uh, VFS Academy, uh, the same gym as Ignacio Bahamondes. Now, professional record, Carlos Hernandez stands at 7-1. and Very nice record heading into this weekend. As for Victor Altamirano, his nickname is El Magnifico, Love that as a nickname. He is 31 years old. Altamirano is repping Fort Worth, Texas and the peak performance Waltanga gym in Texas, I guess. Fuck's sake. Uh, Now, professional record for Altamirano, 10 and 1. So 7 and 1 for Hernandez, 10 and 1 for Altamirano. It's a nice little exciting fight we've got to open the show. Now, I'm just going to quickly reiterate how both men won their most recent fight by split decision on the most recent season of Contender Series. So for the first time from last season's series, we are going to have two graduates from last season fight each other. So I'm pretty sure they haven't done that from the guys last season and girls. So this is a really interesting one. It's like, that's an interesting matchup in itself for them to work out. It's like, you and I aren't so different, you know? They're like, wow, fuck. Okay, moving on. So they are now two contenders with UFC contracts with the same goal of impressing Dana White and showcasing all the abilities that caught the UFC's attention in the first place. Now I'm going to look at the methods comparison in terms of wins and losses and see how both of them stack up against each other. So first up, Altamirano, he has 10 wins, 
one knockout win, four submission wins, and five decision wins. So majority of Altamirano's wins at this stage coming by decision. Uh, Carlos Hernandez has seven wins, four of those submissions, three decisions. So this should be a very close bout. Both fighters specialize in submission finishes, but they also have just as many decision outcomes. The combined submission wins between them, they have eight, four each, and they have eight decisions between them as well. With Altamirano, of course, contributing five of those eight decision wins. As far as looking at their losses, there's one loss for each of them in their professional career to date. Hernandez lost by decision in his professional debut. He's now on a seven fight winning run. So that, that kind of tells you what you need to know about Hernandez. That loss was not recent. Uh, he, he's gonna be coming into this weekend at his absolute best, looking to add to his tally and get an eighth straight win in his UFC debut. As for Altamirano's loss, he had a submission loss to a fella named Jared Brooks back in 2019. So a real value bet here could be Hernandez, who's won four times by submission, to submit Altamirano. If you're gonna look for a stoppage, I definitely think Carlos Hernandez by submission could be a real cheeky value bet. But speaking of the betting market, that's what I'm gonna launch into right now. I'll just quickly pull up the fight. And as I'm getting to the betting market, side note, I'll keep this shorter format, but my work, they've got me in early already. They're getting me in two, early, two hours early tonight. And now they're trying to get me in an extra hour early. And uh, they're like, can you come in? I'm like, no, I'm doing my preview and predictions. And they'll be like, how important is this? And I'll be like, are you serious? How important is the first fight on the fight night card? That sets the tone for everything. It's very important. So yep, uh, I can't come in. I couldn't come in. I need to finish this, right? It's still very early days, so let's keep this moving. And in the betting market, Carlos Hernandez is the favorite at $1.72. And if you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I love a value bet and I love an underdog. I don't always go the underdogs. Last week, I was pretty much majority favorites, if not all favorites, but uh, I love an underdog. And Victor Altamariano is at $2.10, so very close head-to-head. Hernandez $1.72, Altamirano $2.10. We're gonna look at the methods now and I will start with the favorite, Hernandez. Uh, to win by submission, my value bet for this one, $5. Hernandez to win by submission, that would be a real great value bet. He is on a seven fight winning streak, don't forget that. Hernandez to win by knockout, which is definitely possible, but they are flyweights, so not as heavy hands. Uh, $10 for Hernandez to win by knockout. I prefer submission, $5 is a really nice value price. And for Hernandez to win by decision, that's also very likely, uh, $2.85. As for Altamariano, $15 by knockout. Ooh, that price tag is calling my name. That immediately <laughs> jumped out at me. Uh, Victor Altamariano by submission, $7. That's another value bet if you wanna go for an Altamirano stoppage. Uh, but I think the most likely, and definitely on the betting market, for Altamirano is to win by decision at $3. As for which way I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna make, what I'm gonna do to make it shorter, I'm just gonna do my official prediction for the podcast and then I'll say my bet, because they'll usually be the same, but I'll say them twice, then you'll get my prediction, then you should know what it is. So my official prediction for this opening flyweight fight on Fight Night 202, I am gonna take the underdog, Victor Altamariano, by decision. So that's my official prediction. And in terms of the betting market, 
I'm going to jump on Victor Altamariano head to head at two dollars ten, sorry, two ten, uh, and I'm going to jump on Victor Altamariano to win by decision at three dollars. If I can get that one to start the day, that'll be a really great way to just you know start with some momentum and get the ball rolling. But looking at this fight, there are some fights I look at on the card and I'm like, I think I'm going to go one way, but like you know, you just feel like you're going to get burnt. You're not going to put too much money on it. Uh, this is one of those. Altamariano, from what I saw in his contender series fight, there are some things and weaknesses and flaws in his game that I do think can be exploited. So I am worried about that, but I have to make a prediction that forces my hand. And when it came time to predict, I have gone Victor Altamariano by decision. So that's my prediction for that one. Moving on to our next fight. And this one interests me a lot. I know a bit about both guys now. I've seen them in action quite recently, a couple of times. So up next on the card is welterweight action between Ramiz Brahimaj and a late noticed entrant on the most recent Ultimate Fighter season, Michael the Gentleman Gilmore. Ramiz Brahimaj will be looking to respond to his loss against Court McGee in January. He was just completely smothered for the full 15 minutes in that one. I actually took Ramiz Brahimaj by decision, but that was another one of those fights where I was like, oh man, it's really hard going against Court McGee. I was like, I don't think he can finish Court McGee. And all Brahimaj's finishes have come by submission. So really my head was kind of telling me McGee, but I went with Brahimaj. He ended up just, yeah, Court McGee was all over him that fight, a unanimous decision victory. So Brahimaj is coming fresh off a loss to start his 2022 campaign. Nearly said 2021, still don't even know what year it is. I was disappointed with that result, but I still hold Brahamaj in high regard. And at this point, I'm leaning toward the submission specialist getting the win in this fight. The other side of the cage will be Michael Gilmore. Now, uh, yeah, I didn't really see much of him. He wasn't really on the Ultimate Fighter. And then Miles Hunsinger uh, actually had to pull out. He was on Team Ortega. So last minute, Michael Gilmore was like a late replacement, which was a really interesting storyline. On the season, he joined Team Ortega, uh, and he was submitted by Gilbert Urbina. Then, uh, Gilmore was given a UFC debut after the courageous short-notice entry on The Ultimate Fighter. See, Dana White does really like things like that. Uh, but Gilmore lost to fellow Team Ortega teammate, Andre Petrosky, who he won me some money recently by submission, and he's taking on another fighter who won me some money recently, in Nick Maximov. So that is a future matchup coming up. Andre Petrosky up against Nick Maximov. And as for Gilmore, coming off that middleweight loss, he is now moving down to welterweight in hopes of kickstarting his UFC career. Now back to Ramiz, and he is going to have learned a lot from his loss to Court McGee. And the most important lesson for Brahmaj is that he performs at his best when he's dictating the way that the fight plays out. Profiles, we have Ramez Brahamaj, 29 years old, representing Fortis MMA, and Brahamaj's professional record stands at 9 wins and 4 losses. As for Michael the Gentleman Gilmore, he is 34 years old, from Michigan, representing Mercy Lago MMA, and now his professional record, which I have I've made an adjustment, I'll talk about that in a sec, his professional record officially stands at 6 and 4, but six and five is what I've said here because the Gilbert Urbina loss on Ultimate Fighter doesn't count on Gilmore's professional record. And fair enough, he took that on like extremely short notice. Uh, so it technically doesn't, but I watched that fight. That is 
one of the few things I have seen from Michael Gilmore, so I'm counting it in my prediction. Uh, so it's six and five unofficially for Michael Gilmore. And since 2021, the start, he's had two stoppage losses. As for Brahamaj, in 2021-2022, he had a submission win over Sasha Palatnikov, and then he followed that up uh, and lost to the unanimous decision victory. Lost to? Whatever. I'm going to keep this rolling. Let's just keep this rolling. Uh, Brahamaj lost to Court McGee by unanimous decision. Very disappointing. Now, in terms of the methods comparison, the key stat here, and it was my key stat, in the last fight as well with Court McGee, but the other stat with Court McGee was that like nobody could ever stop him. Like he was just this insanely durable athlete. But I'm going to go back to the last key stat for Brahamaj. All nine of Ramiz Brahamaj's wins have come via submission. So nine of nine wins by submission. Another key stat, including Gilbert Urbina's win over Gilmore, is that Gilmore has four submission losses. Now Gilmore's wins... He has three knockouts and three decisions. His losses, Michael the Gentleman Gilmore, has been submitted four times, as I said. So that is the definite key stat in this fight. And he also had a TKO loss to Andre Petrosky. So Gilmore has never lost by decision, but he like he's been stopped a lot and he's been submitted a lot. So that is a definite worry for him. But that's what the fight game's all about. Now he has had to go away and make adjustments at his fight training camp and come back a better version of himself. So I'll back Michael Gilmore to come with his best performance here this weekend. Uh, but is it going to be enough? Having a look at how his opponent has lost, Brahimaj has lost three times by decision, and he's only been knocked out once. So he's only been stopped at, uh, stopped sorry once, Brahimaj being knocked out at the hands of Max Payne Griffin. As far as the stylistic matchup, uh, it's a submission artist up against a fighter coming off of two submission losses at middleweight. He now moves down to welterweight to try and, you know, get his career started. It's going to be an interesting one. And if Brahmaj loses again, that really hurts his stocks a lot. And I think that helps Gilmore. But then vice versa, if Brahmaj wins, then he'll be straight back into the swing of things. He'll already have two fights under his belt for the year. That could probably realistically, if he stays healthy, could total like four fights by the end of, year, uh, end of the year. So that could be really good. If he wins three of those four, then all of a sudden he finds himself in a great position at welterweight. Now, in terms of the betting market, Rahmiz Brahamaj is the heavy favorite, and rightly so. But I think Gilmore, Gilmore definitely has potential to trouble him. Now, Gilmore, a great value. Oh, probably not as good a value. Let me rephrase that. Just the underdog, Michael the Gentleman Gilmore at $3.70. Ramiz Brahamaj at $1.28. In terms of the methods, Brahamaj by knockout, $10. Pretty juicy price tag, uh, but he has never won by knockout, so maybe not. Uh, Ramiz Brahamaj to win by decision, $4. And to win by submission, $1.95. So anytime it's under $2, that's when it's a... Very heavy favorite, but Derek Lewis was under $2 to knock Taitu Avasa out. And look how that happened. So Ramiz Brahamaj, all nine of his wins by submission, $1.95 for that to be his method of victory in this one. Now for Gilmore to win by decision, $6.50. To win by knockout, that would be huge, $8.50. And to win by submission, $34. As for my official prediction in this welterweight contest, I am taking Ramiz Brahamaj by submission. No surprise really there. 
And in the betting market, I am going to take Ramiz Brahamaj by submission at $1.95. Uh, not a huge price tag, but I'm just sticking to what I truly believe is going to play out in this contest. So that's my prediction for this welterweight contest. I'm taking Brahamaj over Michael the Gentleman Gilmore, and I'm going to back Brahamaj to get his 10th career win and 10th submission win in his career. So huge night potentially for Brahamaj. If Gilmore can change the tune and the narrative of how that goes, then best of luck to him. I really like him. Uh, but yeah, that's my prediction for the welterweight fight. So now it's time to move on to two long-standing members of the bantamweight division as they square off. Up next, we've got Alejandro Perez up against Jonathan Martinez. Both men head into Vegas this weekend with the goal of building on their win last time out. The two fighters both chasing their second straight win, but only one of them is going to walk out of the apex having achieved that. Seven consecutive wins catapulted Alejandro Perez into the division's top 15 before two straight losses bounced him straight out of the rankings. And after a two-year-plus absence, Alejandro returned to the promotion last October, earning himself a performance of the night bonus for his submission stoppage of Johnny Eduardo. It's no secret that Perez wants to re-enter the frame as far as the rankings go, but the Mexican fighter must first defeat Jonathan Martinez, which is no easy feat. Speaking of Martinez, the 27-year-old surged into 2021, riding a five-fight win streak that had Martinez in the conversation for a spot in the top 15 himself. Both of these guys are studs. Now, you don't enter the discussions for a spot in the rankings in a stacked division like 135 without having some serious ability. Back to Martinez, and a second-round knockout loss to Davy Grant last March bumped Martinez down a couple of notches at 135, but it didn't take him long to amend that downfall. Martinez was originally slated to face Solis Chris Mutino, who you may recognize from his short notice debut against uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley, but then Martinez ended up fighting and defeating Zviad Lavashvili via unanimous decision. I'm pretty sure, I'm, I can't remember who I took. I think I may have taken, I can't remember. My, I, I think I took Martinez. Who knows? Who fucking knows? That was on one of my early ones. Uh, but... First it was supposed to be Moutinho, then it was Aaron Phillips, and Martinez ended up fighting Zviad Lavashvili instead. So this time there is more clarity around Jonathan's training camp and preparation for his opponent, and he's also got a sizable discrepancy in height and reach. Uh, so yeah, Martinez has the size advantage, I definitely think he can work that in his favour, but Alejandro Perez is very crafty. Time for the profiles, Jonathan Martinez, nicknamed the Dragon, he is 27 years old, fighting out of Plainview, Texas, and Martinez is representing the Factory X Gym. Jonathan's professional record stands at 14 and 4, so that's a pretty healthy record, looking for his 15th career win this weekend. Then we have Alejandro Perez, 32 years old, nicknamed Turbo, he is from Mexico, Fucking oath, I love Mexican food. Mexico, what a dope place. Uh, I'd love to go to Mexico someday once travel is allowed. Uh, so, Jim, American Kickboxing Academy, that's pretty fucking dope. I've heard, I've heard a lot of fighters from American Kickboxing Academy. This was like the third fight on the card, so usually I'll go through some of the people that train there, but let's keep this rolling. Now, Alejandro Perez, his professional record stands at 22 wins, eight losses and one draw. 
Now, there are serious ranking implications in terms of this fight. I think the winner definitely gets a ranked opponent up next, or at least, you know, they're right, right in the frame, which Bantamweight is stacked. So these guys are already doing really well for themselves, and a win is just going to build on, like, the momentum that they already have for themselves. Now, time for a methods comparison. And as far as the losses go, Alejandro Perez has been knocked out twice. Perez has been submitted three times. Sorry, I stuttered there and I distracted myself with the stutter. Uh, Alejandro Perez submitted three times, knocked out twice, and he's lost three times by decision. As for Martinez, he's been knocked out once, two decision losses and a disqualification loss. So Martinez never having been submitted in his 18 fight career. Now, in terms of the wins, Jonathan Martinez, 50% of his wins have been by knockout. He's got seven knockouts, two submission wins, and five decisions. Now, Perez, his wins are made up of 15 stoppages from 22 wins. So he's a stoppage specialist, Perez. Alejandro has nine knockout wins, very impressive. Six submission wins, equally as impressive. And seven decision wins. So even in those gritty grinding contest he still can get it done seven decision wins for Alejandro Perez they should meet, uh, match up very interesting stylistically or interestingly stylistically I'm making a couple of mistakes we're rolling let's just keep this fucking rolling uh it's prelims I like to keep the prelims rolling uh Jonathan Martinez Alejandro Perez on the betting market Martinez $1.44 favorite Alejandro Perez He's a nice value underdog. Definitely consider Perez, $2.85. Now, methods of victory. Martinez to win by submission, $12. To win by knockout, $3.75. 50% of his wins have come by knockout. And for Martinez to win by decision is $2.25. As for Alejandro Perez to win by knockout, $10. To win by submission, which no one's ever submitted Martinez, $10. And to win by decision, $5. So I think if you're looking for a value bet, Perez head-to-head at $2.85. And also, do consider Alejandro Perez nine knockouts in his career, nine knockout wins. He's $10 to win by knockout here. Now, Perez to win by decision, probably most likely $5. Still a very juicy price tag. As for which way I'm going to go in this bantamweight fight, my official prediction for the podcast, I am taking Jonathan Martinez by decision over Alejandro Perez and in the betting market I'm going to jump on Jonathan Martinez by points at $2.25. I like those odds. It makes sense to just go with what I'm predicting so I'm going to wrap up now and move on to our next fight and a new rule that I've made for the podcast in terms of just shortening it. I have a new rule that if I have previously in a preview and predictions already recorded my prediction for a fight and preview and released it and then the fight has been rescheduled then I'm going to have a rescheduled rapid pick. I've already talked about the fight if anyone wants to know at not just a sports report on Instagram send me a message I can literally tell you where the podcast is and what time to go to and I go through this whole fight exactly I pretty much would have said the same things so now it is time for my rapid pick in this lightweight fight, Terence McKinney up against Faris Ziam. I believe it's still being fought at lightweight. Let me just check that. Uh, but I was really excited for this fight. I'm not scooping over it uh, because I don't like it. I actually have this fight having either a performance of the night finish 
or a fight of the night honor. I really think this is going to be one of the best fights on the card, but it's time to put my new rule, the rapid pick, into motion. So Terence McKinney at lightweight, very exciting. Of course, had that five-second knockout over Matt Frivola up against Faris Zeeam. And when I did go into this fight, this is going to be a really, really close one. McKinney, a lot of people are excited about him. They really think he's like another very big prospect who could be the next big thing. But when I did delve through this match, Faris Zeeam at this stage is like the best possible matchup for McKinney. Uh, and he's really going to make things hard. So I have taken for my rapid pick Terence McKinney by knockout. Not with a great deal of confidence. I think maybe he can get it done by decision. And in terms of the odds, McKinney, I'm taking an underdog here again. McKinney is the underdog at $2.02. Faris Ziam, as I said, the hardest match for McKinney yet and best possible matchup. $1.78 for Faris Ziam. Uh, as in terms of the methods to win by knockout, Terence McKinney, that's my prediction, official prediction, McKinney by knockout. That's $3.75. If you want a value bet, McKinney by points, $7, and he's also $7 to win by submission. For Faris Zeeam, for him to win by submission is $9.50, to win by decision, $4.20. Ooh, like that price. Uh, Faris Zeeam to win by knockout, $3.60. I like Zeeam to win by decision at $4.20, but as I said, I'm sticking with my pick last time out. I'm going to just keep it the same. Terence McKinney by knockout over Faris Ziam. So that was my rapid pick, either a performance of the night bonus for McKinney or Ziam, who knows, or fight of the night honors, because I do think this could be a very closely fought banger. So let's move on now. I've got two more fights to go in this fight night 202 prelims predictions. Then I'll have the main card shortly after being released. So uh, two fights to go. This next one is a woman's bantamweight fight. So Let's not waste any more time and get straight into it. Up next is a women's bantamweight contest that excites me greatly featuring a stoppage specialist on a tear as of late up against the dynamic debutante Ramona Pascual. Now Pascual in her debut could not be facing stiffer competition in Josiane Nunez or Josiane. Uh, I'll need to work out how to say that. I'm just gonna say Josie Nunez. Now do not sleep on this fight. It is one of the more underrated clashes this weekend. And Ramona is going to be making her promotional debut, coming off three consecutive first round stoppage wins. Ramona's most recent outing was a one minute stoppage of Shamir Peshawar. Uh, that was in Invicta FC, which is a really quality breeding ground uh, for great female fighters. So at the moment, Ramona looks like she has all the tools to be a UFC ready fighter. And now she's going to get an opportunity to showcase what she can do. It's going to be a case of one winning streak continuing to roll on. And a contender is going to be made out of one of these women. But for the other, their streak must come to an end. And they're going to have to pick up the pieces rather than surge toward a ranked opponent next. Profiles. Ramona Pascual is 33 years of age. She, her hometown, she's like a representing Philippines slash Hong Kong and her gym is Syndicate MMA. Ramona Pascual has a record of six and two. As for Josie Nunes, she is 28 years old, nicknamed Josie, hometown Brazil, so she's another quality, very experienced Brazilian fighter, and she is representing the Astra Fight Team and Strikers House. Josie's professional record stands at eight wins and one loss, with her lone loss being to Talia Santos, 
who is currently ranked number five in the women's flyweight division. Having a look at their losses, so obviously Talia Santos, the only one to beat Nunes, and as for Ramona Pascual, I believe is the way to say it, Pascual, her two losses, she's had uh, losses in her second and third fights of her pro professional career. Sorry, stumbling over my lines, I've had a lot of coffee. Now, Ramona has lost once by submission and once by knockout, so if Pascual loses here, then will it be the first decision loss of her career? I am always slightly wary of fighter or fighters whose losses are made up entirely of stoppages. Bloody hands are about to start shaking. So much coffee, it's probably too much. Now, you've got to factor in, as far as this fight, that Josie Nunez is one of the most lethal strikers in the division, and it's fair to say that Ramona could not ask for tougher competition in her first UFC outing. Now, as far as the ranking implications go, a win for Nunes here would 100% put her in the running for a spot in the top 15, so there's no doubt in my mind that Nunes faces a step up in competition should she win this weekend. That makes this an equally big occasion, if not bigger, for Ramona Pascual. An on debut for Ramona would catapult her right into the rankings mix, with plenty of time left in the air for her to chase another one or two triumphs. As far as both women's 2021 campaigns, uh, Ramona's last real amount of high activity was in 2017, so I know that wasn't her last year's kind of activity, but that was definitely a note. Ramona's last real amount of high activity uh, and fight time was in 2017. Now, Ramona did not fight at all in 2018. She fought once in 2019, and then she didn't fight in 2020. So Ramona, not a whole lot of activity for quite a few years now, but then in 2021 last year, she got a submission win, and then she returned in January this year for a TKO win. So this is her fastest kind of bounce back and consecutive fight in quite a while, which is a very interesting note as far as this fight goes. But Ramona nonetheless is on a four fight winning streak, so uh, it's taken her a while to get there, but she's not losing. She hasn't been losing, so that is another note as far as that goes. Now, in 2021, Josie Nunez had one fight, getting a round one knockout win over B. Malecki. That extended Nunez's winning run to seven consecutive fights, and an eighth surely sets her up for a huge matchup next. Now, taking a look at both females' methods of victory, Nunez, she has 88% of wins by knockout slash technical knockout. So 88% of Josie Nunez's wins by knockout. And I usually just say knockout, even if it's TKO, like as far as predictions, I try to simplify it a little bit more and not keep having to say knockout slash TKO. So if I ever say knockout, that count, TKOs count. Okay, it's just, you got knocked out, even if it was technically. So 88% of wins by knockout for Nunez. Seven knockouts and one split decision from her eight career wins. As far as Ramona's wins, she has 67% of wins by knockout, which is highly promising. That's what we want. We want a bit of a banging contest because this past weekend there were two major ones or a couple, but then the rest of the card was very heavy on the wrestling. So it looks like this fight is going to have some fireworks. 67% of Ramona's wins by knockout. Uh, her six career wins being made up of four knockouts, one submission, and one decision. It's a great stylistic matchup. It promises to be an explosive contest, and there are going to be fireworks right from the get-go. The first five minutes should be very interesting, 
in this female fight or women's fight, whatever. Uh, not whatever. This is, I I, I want to shine a bit of a spotlight on the women's fighting as well because it hasn't been that long since Dana White, you know, opened the UFC up to the women. And yeah, we're starting to see a big movement in females getting to, you know, get their spotlight and play sport because it is weird. It is so weird that like, you know, it's such a huge thing for males and then it's like traditionally like female sport hasn't been this big thing. Uh, it's weird. It's weird. But I think eventually, definitely, it's already building and making massive strides towards female sport being on par. Uh, they've just had, they just have so many more like disadvantages and stuff in terms of building their shit up. Like the men's have been established for so, 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 so long and have had time to build up. But yeah. Uh, shining a light on female sport. There you go. So Josiane Nunez and Ramona Pascual head to head in the betting market. Nunez is the favorite $1.50. Ramona Pascual at $2.60. As far as the methods of victory go, Nunez to win by submission, $10. Nunez to win by decision, $5. Most likely outcome, Nunez to win by knockout, 88% of her wins by knockout. As for Pascual, $4.50 to win by decision. That could be a bit of a value bet. Pascual to win by knockout, which is how she's won most of her fights, $7. Uh, Pascual to win by submission, $12. As for my official prediction for this podcast, in this women's bantamweight fight, I'm going to take Josie Nunez by knockout over Ramona Pascual. So I'll be checking some money, even though it's not great odds, uh, on Nunez by knockout at $1.00 and 85 cents so that's my pick for the women's bantamweight one uh nunez over pascual by knockout could potentially be in for a 50k bonus check so with that being said it is time to move on to the last fight in this prelims preview and prediction and that is our featured prelim featuring two cracking names in action as lightweight stars rong zhu and ignacio bahamondes do battle Cracking names, fellas. Now, both men make their third walks to the octagon in a contest between two young superstars on the rise. There are similarities between both fighters as they both look to back up their first UFC triumph. Rong Zhu is one of the youngest fighters in the UFC at only 21 years old. Remarkably, the Chinese native already has 22 fights to his name. So Rong Zhu has more professional fights than he has years on this earth. How is that for a stat? Now, Rong lost by decision to Rodrigo Vargas in his UFC debut before responding with an impressive third-round stoppage over Brandon Jenkins. 18 career wins for Rong at only 21 years old. This kid is a genuine prospect. A lot of the noise surrounding this fight is centered around Ignacio Bahamondes, and rightly so after his most recent win. But do not sleep on Rong Zhu. This kid has a ton of talent, and all the time in the world to make a run for the belt if he can stay healthy and relatively injury-free. Rong has an incredible amount of experience for a fighter his age, and over the next few years, he's going to be able to build on that experience against the toughest competition in the world. As for Bahamondes, the young star earned his UFC contract in 2020 with a second-round knockout of Edson Gomez on Dana White's Contender Series. Similar to Zhu, Bahamondes lost in his UFC debut, finding himself on the wrong side of a split decision against John McDessie. Ignacio couldn't have responded to the loss in more emphatic fashion, 
with one of, if not the best knockouts of 2021 over Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, I could describe it, but honestly, if you have not seen that knockout, words cannot do it just justice. Justice. Uh, there you go. There's a bit of a slip up. Words can't do it justice. Uh, Google it. Fucking Google it. Ignacio Bahamondes KO Roosevelt Roberts. You'll be able to find it somewhere. It is so worth watching. That won't take long. You pause this. You may not come back. It's worth it. Check the knockout. Uh, and then you'll come back and you'll be like, fuck, I want to hear more. So if you haven't seen that knockout, Google it. If you have seen that knockout, you'll know exactly what I am talking about. But Rong is going to have the experience advantage in this fight at only 21 years of age. So that is an interesting stat to note. Uh, and it's very rare for someone. He's one of the youngest fighters on the roster. And he still has more experience than some of the guys that he's going up against. His opponent, Bahamondes, will have an advantage of his own because he boasts the height and reach discrepancy advantages. Now, profiles time, Ignacio Bahamondes, 24 years old. So both of these guys are very, very young. Bahamondes is from Santiago, Chile, and he has a professional record of 12 and 4. Bahamondes will also be representing the VFS Academy. If that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you heard me say that is the gym for Carlos Hernandez in the opening fight of these prelims, and Ignacio also trains with the likes of Yair Rodriguez and Bilal Mohammed. As for Rong Zhu, he is 21 years of age from China, so I love the international flavor in this fight. Uh, a Chilean up against a Chinaman, is that? I apologize if that's offensive. A Chinese person? Uh, I don't know. Sorry, someone, yeah, if that was bad, I'll have to do my research into that. I don't know. These days, it's kind of hard to know. Uh, so I'll have, sorry if that was an offensive term, but if it wasn't, then let me get back to it. We have a huge fight with some real international flavor in the prelims. The Chileans will be getting very excited about the prospects of Bahamondes. And the UFC is such a growing market in China. They're only getting bigger. They are looking for stars to step up that they can put into that spotlight and those huge kind of shows. And Rongzu is right in the frame for that. So loving the international flavor. It means the Americans can't get up to their usual booing antics and like, you know, USA, USA. Uh, although this is of course in the apex where that isn't a factor anyway. But you know, you take the Chilean or you take the Chinese guy and you put him up against an American and American, the booing, I don't know. Sometimes there's like times and a place, but for the most part, I don't, it's like when they just boo them because they're not from America. That's just like shit. That's like, come on. This person, their health is on the line. Like they're putting their body on the line for entertainment and you're going to boo them because geographically they're just like from a different place. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, definitely chair the American, like get around the American, but like, do we need to boo? all the time i don't know but i'd like to hear everyone's thoughts because there's definitely a place for it but yeah sometimes it's just like blatant it's like just blatantly booing someone for being from another country uh it's like come on come the fuck on seriously anyway professional record for rong zoo 18 and 4 and rong is representing the american top team gym now i of course had my american top team theory they are a one-stop shop for everything. You can learn all your different skills. This is mixed martial arts. So American Top Team, you can like learn everything under one roof. Whereas 
a lot of fighters have to travel to different spots to learn their like jujitsu and grappling and then travel somewhere else for their striking and cardio and all of that so that definitely comes into play and that is an advantage for rong Zhu to be under the american top team banner and some of the best facilities in combat sports worldwide are at that gym american top team guys like jorge masvidal dustin poirier uh kayla harrison amanda nunez just left there there's so many so many and the coaches that just the facilities are out of control it's pretty fucking loose and there is that kind of thing that the fighters get all the attention they need because they have such like a big squad at American Top Team. But on the scale, I lean toward the facilities outweighing the aspect of time and attention from the coaches. American Top Team are one of the leading gyms in the world, so definitely take into consideration that Rong Zhu is learning from world-class mentors. Now, in terms of streaks, Rong Zhu has won 11 of his past 12 fights, uh, but he's only on a one-fight win streak at the moment, so he was on a massive win streak, and then that momentum was kind of broken up in his UFC debut. So he's only on a one-fight win streak, but Rong Zhu has won 11 of his 12 past fights. My apologies, stumbling through that. Uh, Bahamondes is also on a one-fight win streak. He's won three of his last five fights, so slightly less impressive than 11 of the last 12 for Rong Zhu. Now, in terms of methods comparisons... The wins column, Bahamondes has 75% of his wins by knockout. So from 12 wins, Bahamondes has 9 knockouts and 3 decisions. As for Rong Zhu, he has 67% of his wins by knockout. From his 18 wins, Rong has 12 knockouts, 4 submissions, 1 decision, and 1 other in the victory column for Rong Zhu. Now as far as losses, Rong has 3 submission losses and one decision loss. So Ignatia has never won by submission. The main ways it seems to defeat Rong Zhu is by submission. So that makes Rong immediately stronger in this contest. Now, as far as Bahamonda's losses, he has two submission losses and two decision losses. So he's also been submitted a couple of times. But the difference here and another key stat is that Rong has won four times by submission. So Bahamonda's never having won by submission, whereas Rong has done it four times, so another very interesting note in this featured prelim. Now, another key stat, it is two knockout specialists. Neither man has ever been knocked out themselves either, so this is a potential fight of the night right here. I have this fight and the lightweight fight between McKinney and Siam as my two main contenders for fight of the night honours. Onto the betting market, and Bahamondes is the favorite, but honestly, Zhu's, uh, Rong, Ru, Rong Zhu is a massive underdog, probably the best value underdog on this whole prelims card. I think Bahamondes definitely is being favored just because the spectacular knockout last time out, but it can't be like counted out. The pressure it also puts on you to come out, you know, now a lot of people are going to be watching you. That's a great positive thing. That can't be anything but a good thing. Uh, and even no matter how you win, it's still going to be impressive to follow that up because you already have eyes on you from that last knockout. Uh, but it, it just makes me wonder because now all of a sudden there is a different kind of pressure being placed on Bahamondes, who's only won three of his past five fights. And he is an absolute superstar. Like, I love everything I see from him. He is definitely one of my ones to watch. Uh, but yeah, he's coming in with a lot more pressure. Whereas Rong Zhu is very young, very experienced, and 
a lot of the eyes are on Bahamondes, so that kind of makes Rongzu a dark horse, and I really think he is very much capable of winning this fight, however, wherever it takes him, like, I think he can definitely get it done by decision, and if it goes to a stoppage, I can absolutely see him getting the submission win over Bahamondes, but nonetheless, Ignacio is the favorite head-to-head -head in the betting market, $1.45, and for Rongzu, he is $2.75, so great value there. Uh, now, in terms of the methods, I won't bother with Bahamondes by submission, but if it happens, that'll be awesome for him. Uh, Bahamondes by knockout, $3.35. He is coming off one of the knockouts, best knockouts we've seen in a fucking very long time. So $3.35 for Bahamondes by knockout. And for Ignacio to win by decision, that is still a very healthy $2.50 price tag. Over to Rongzu, and for him to win by knockout, $6.50. He's won all, like, the majority of his fights by knockout. Uh, Rongzu by decision, $5. And a massive, massive value bet. Best value bet of the prelims. Write this one down. Rongzu by submission at $13. As for which way I'm going in this featured prelim bout, I am taking Ignacio Bahamondes by decision. I think it's going to be a very closely fought contest. As I said, I do think this could go... A number of ways I think it could be fight of the night and I also believe that uh, Rongzu is very capable of getting that surprise submission win so absolutely watch out for that but as far as this lightweight fight goes I'm taking Bahamondes by decision and on the betting market I'm taking Ignacio by decision at $2.50 so a lot of nice price tags hoping I can get a few wins this weekend and yeah keep the wins ticking over so Bahamondes over Rongzu in our featured prelim. That is it. Now, those are my previews and predictions for the prelims. Uh, this weekend, I'll also be doing a thoughts and comments. So again, watching the card, giving some comments before the fights, after the fights, and yeah, just being accountable for my predictions and seeing how the bets go. So thoughts and comments coming up this weekend. Uh, I've given all my predictions. think it should be a great weekend of fights. And if you enjoyed the podcast today, follow us on Instagram at NotJustASportsReport and also on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. You'll be able to see as soon as my main card preview and predictions comes out, which is what is up next. But that's all for now. So until next time, take care.